0: If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter number four. If you've been attending Grace Road for any length of time now, you know that we have been exploding with growth, that there are new people every single week. Uh, If you showed up to church this morning, you see uh, what is taking place. And that really, if you think that everybody else has been here for a really long period of time and you're uh, fairly the new ones, uh, a lot of people have been coming for a very short period of time, less than six months. God has been very, very gracious to us in growing the church as we minister the gospel to people. And one of the challenges to rapid growth when uh, a church grows really fast, really quickly, uh, is that not everybody knows the, the values, the core values of the church. They don't know the distinctives and what separates the church maybe from others, or maybe they've come a, a few times and can start to pick up on the distinctives, but you don't know why they're the distinctives, why we have decided to focus on those things. And if and if you've come for any length of time, you know our big distinctive, the hill that we'll die on, is the centrality of the gospel. That we talk about what Christ did on the cross, what it accomplished, the good news of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, that Christ was our substitute, that he stood in our place. We talk about that a lot. Every single week, in fact. And maybe you're here and, and, and you've picked up on that and you say, I don't know why everything always comes back to the cross, why they talk about the gospel every sermon. And, and, and the reason for that is this, that we don't believe that a Christian ever moves beyond the gospel. So we don't feel like the gospel is something that you need to believe to become a Christian and then you move on to bigger and better things and you leave the gospel uh behind. As uh, we read the scriptures, we see uh, all throughout the New Testament that everything is in light of the gospel. So we don't talk about the gospel as one topic and maybe marriage as another topic and giving as a separate topic and, you know, maybe uh, sin struggles as another topic. They're not isolated. We talk about marriage, family, sin struggles, giving, etc., all in light of the gospel, all under that umbrella, and maybe you've been here and you say, "Yeah, I, I've seen that. I've heard that. Everything always goes back to Jesus." Here, that's cool. That's Grace Road's thing. Every church kind of has their own thing that they try to excel at and go after. And Grace Road's thing is the centrality of the gospel. That's cool. Maybe you're here this morning and you and you and you feel that way. And what we want to show this morning, as we look in Mark chapter number four, we've been studying through the book of Mark is in Mark chapter 4, we see what happens if the gospel isn't our thing. If we don't make the centrality of the gospel, where what, what we always come back to, what everything rides on, that everything is in light of the, the, the finished work of Jesus Christ, what happens? What's the fallout if the gospel isn't our thing, the main thing? And we see this in Mark chapter 4. What's going on in Mark chapter number 4 is that the disciples up until this point, are excited about the Messiah is coming. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, there's all these promises about when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, what it's going to look like. And Isaiah 6, Isaiah 45, Isaiah chapter 60, all talk about how when the Messiah comes, it's a, it's a universal reign, that his kingdom uh, rules. And, and they had all these great expectations, and right, rightly so in light of the the passages of scripture in the old testament that they would have known and believed but as we've been looking through mark we know that that hasn't been the case thus far in fact anything but they had these these expectations that the christ was going to come and rule over everyone and people were going to follow him and convert to him and they had all these great expectations and in, in the first 3 chapters of the book of mark jesus has been called the devil His own family is saying that he's crazy. And they don't just have some people that are opposed to Jesus. Actually, what's becoming the trend, the momentum is shifting where Christ is gaining more and more opposition instead of more and more followers. And if you are a disciple at this point, you have to be discouraged. You have to be disheartened, frustrated. What is going wrong? I mean, we're gathering all these people. Jesus is teaching to all these people, and then uh, they follow for a little while, and then they go their separate way, and we don't see them anymore. What is going on? Why are people coming and, and, and hearing the word taught, but then they're leaving, and they're not becoming followers of Christ? And that was what was on their mind, and maybe at this point they've even vocalized it to Christ, like, hey... Jesus, is it time to kind of switch up the message? Maybe we can do a little things different. Maybe we can try a different approach because we get these big groups of people, but they're not following. So what should we do? Should we change our method? Should we switch the method? And Jesus is going to respond to that in Mark chapter number 4. There's complete intentionality at this point why he says the things that he says in Mark chapter 4 because the context is the disciples are discouraged. They're frustrated and they're trying to figure out why in the world can we attract these people but then they don't stick. They don't follow. That was the question on the disciples' mind and it's not a question that's gone away because all of us have have known people that seem to be followers of Christ. They seem to be on the right path and then they excuse me, they flame out and, 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 and we don't see him anymore. And we wonder, hey, why did they stop following Christ? Why did they stop believing? What happened? And Christ is going to answer this question for the disciples and he's going to answer the question for us this morning. In Mark chapter number four, if you're there with me, look with me in verse number one. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So as the crowds continue to, to develop and get bigger and bigger and bigger, it forces Jesus to get in a boat, push off uh, into the sea so that he's looking at everybody on the, the seashore and he's in the boat. And that could have been uh, because people were getting all up in his personal space. Maybe Jesus had a bubble like I do. I like my space. I'm an American. I don't know that your face needs to be right here. So I tend to take a step back. And then if you know the people that like to be in your space, they take a step forward and follow you and you keep shaking your head until your back is against the wall uh, and you have no other place to go. Maybe that happened to Jesus and it just led him to the water and he got in a boat and pushed off and said, now nah, I can have my, my space. It could also be that the acoustics, because they didn't have microphones at the time, uh, the, the acoustics were better uh, to be speaking on the water to the people. But you have a large crowd and Christ is about to teach him. And the fact that there's a large crowd is, again, it's important to note because this is the, the, the disciples' frustration. They had no problem attracting a crowd. When Jesus spoke, crowds came. People kept coming to check Jesus out, but their frustration was they wouldn't follow. They didn't stay and continue to follow him and become disciples. Verse number two, it says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And this is the first time the word parable shows up in Mark. And maybe if you're, if you're new to parables, uh, Christianity, and it's not a term that we usually use. It's, uh, the word parable is just an analogy. It's a comparison. It's the, it literally means to set two things beside each other and compare them. So what Jesus is going to do is compare uh, farming and what happens with planting seeds with how people are choosing to uh, follow him or not follow him. So he draws the comparison. So now Jesus is about to teach The people are on the sea. Picture this now. And again, you got the disciples (coughs) who think, uh, man, maybe we need to switch up the, the message or our methodology, make it more appealing to people. And Jesus is about to speak into this. And this is what he says. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now imagine you showed up to church this morning and that's what I proclaimed as the message of the day. I went through that and said, now everybody, if you have ears to hear, hear that. And I prayed and said, you can can be dismissed. I mean, if you're anything like the disciples, if you're anything like me, you are thinking, what in the world does that mean? I mean, the disciples had to be thinking, like, no clue. This is exactly why the crowds are leaving. What is he even talking about? And if you're like me, what I do when, like, somebody uses a word that has more than three syllables in it, I just kind of smile and nod and say, yeah. And maybe the disciples did that. After he told this, they just looked at him and said, yes, exactly. Yes, that whole thing about the soil and seeds and birds, yes, what he said. Uh, But what happens is after Jesus finishes with all that and the crowd leaves, the disciples come back to him and say, Jesus, remember when you were uh, on the boat and you were talking about the the thorns and the sun and scorching and stuff like that? Yeah, what in the world were you talking about? We missed that whole thing. No clue where you were going with that. Look uh, in verse number and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." Can you fathom what it was like to hear those words come out of Jesus' mouth? I mean, I, you can't even joke about this. This is a very sobering thing that what he's what saying here. He's saying, hey, here's the reason that I speak in parables. So that the truth would be obscured to some people. that totally subverts our understanding of how somebody comes to Christ. We like to think that, hey, if we package it right and deliver the truth in a neat, tidy, entertaining way, and we can make them chuckle and and everything works out, that people will come to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, the reason that I speak in parables is so that they can see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand. This is tough, To understand, if you're staring at this and you're like, I have no clue why he said that, welcome to my world. Because this is a tough, tough thing to understand. And I think um, the key to understanding it, at least Tim Keller thinks the key to understanding this is this. um, Because I needed help. (laughs) What he says is this. Jesus understood the fact that he was being followed by multitudes of people who wanted miracles, but they didn't want him. And Jesus understood that there was a lot of followers who wanted the show and wanted to see something happen, maybe wanted to be fed. Maybe they even wanted the guilt of their sin gone, but they did not want their sin gone. And he knows this. And what he does is he says, hey, I speak in parables for this very reason. Some of you have come back to ask what I meant. You have a heart that is interested and receptive To the things of God. Many have left. And the reason that I'm speaking in parables is for this fact so that those who want to see, those who want to hear, will come back and ask for more, and those that are just in it for the miracle will go. And that's a difficult truth, and certainly not the truth that the disciples wanted to hear. But what Jesus is saying is hey, sometimes the truth does bring people in. And sometimes the truth causes people to separate. We'll see um, later in the feeding of the 5,000. He feeds them and things are great. When he starts teaching, they all leave. And what we have to remember is that sometimes the preaching of the gospel will do this, will grow a church. And sometimes the preaching of the gospel will shrink a church. Sometimes as we're faithful to the gospel message and, and proclaiming the good news of what Christ accomplished on the cross, people will come. And sometimes that same message, people will leave and go their separate way. And as a church, the truth that we need to understand and what we need to practice is that we need to be absolutely fixated on the good news of the gospel message, whether God gives or whether he takes away. Because this is what Jesus did. He said, I, I'll speak in parables so that those that are interested will come. And those that are just in it for a miracle will leave. And then he goes on to explain what he meant to those that came back. So you have the disciples and some others from this huge crowd of people that say, tell us more. When you were telling that parable about the, the, the sower sowing seed and some of it fell on concrete and birds came and just ate it what did you mean? And, and now we see in verse number 14, he's going to start to explain this parable. And he starts by saying, the sower sows the word. So here was the methodology at the time is that you had the sower and he would walk around with a bag and it was filled with seeds. And his job was simply to sow the word. So he would walk around and he would walk on lines And just sow the word, or sow the seed. So his job was just to scatter. He would just throw the seed out there, and he didn't. He didn't. There was no strategy involved at all. So it wasn't like he was testing soil and said, "No, that that would be a bad place to put. I'm not going to waste this seed there." And then maybe got a shovel. No, all he did was walk the line. No strategy at all, and just flung seed, and the seed would just scatter, and then uh, the Grace Road Teardown team would come and clean it up. No, um, this is a terrible thing to do if you're trying to recruit volunteers, but uh, Kevin doesn't throw seed. But so that's all they would do. Just fling seed, and it would just go all over the place. And what he is saying is that was the job of the sower. The sower just sowed seed, and that was what he did. he, he doesn't say the sower was a soil tester. The sower had to make sure that he did this and do it correctly. He just sowed seed. He threw seed and it just scattered. That was his job. And, a, and he's saying that is the job of the Christian is simply to, to, to spread the seed of the gospel message. That we're not soil testers. We don't take out shovels and bang the soil and try to fix it. Uh, we just spread the gospel message. We share the good news. So if you're wondering how to live missionally in your context, you share what Christ has done in your life. You share the good news, that freedom, that reconciliation, that pardon, that justification, that love is possible in the gospel. What Christ has accomplished allows us to be accepted in him. That's our job. And that was the job of the sower. He never says in this passage that the sower did a bad job, that uh, he, didn't, he, he didn't have enough strategy or the right method. The sower sowed the word of the gospel and wasn't a soil tester and didn't try to manipulate the soil. He just spread the the seed. And at Grace Road, that's all we want to do. We don't want to be soil testers. We don't do uh invitations where we try to twist somebody's arm to to pray a prayer, we deliver the gospel message and trust that the Holy Spirit of God will work in hearts and that those who uh, God is working in will come to repentance and believe the gospel. And we don't want to twist arms. We don't want to manipulate somebody into a belief because if we did, we would always wonder, I, I, do they truly see Christ as saving? Or are they here because we manipulated them, because we twisted their arm, etc.? So our job as Christians is to sow the word, to spread the seed of the gospel and let God do the work. And now Christ says, so you have this sower who sows the word. And now he's going to start talking about the soil that that lands on. And it lands on all different types of soils. And he likens each one of these soils to a person. Some people have concrete hearts. Some people have hearts that uh, they're a little soft, but they're surrounded by rocks, etc. And now that's what he's going to do. He's going to start explaining the different soils and comparing them to people. So verse number 15, he says, "...these are the ones along the path where the word is sown." when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the first heart is just an absolute indifferent heart. And he says, hey, sometimes that soil when the sower sows lands on just concrete, it, it, it has no place to go. It cannot go deep. It's not going anywhere. And as a result, just like in the parable, a bird can come in and just snatch it. Uh, in the same way, he says, when, when the word of God falls on somebody's heart and that, that heart is like concrete, it's hard, it's indifferent to the things of God, Satan can come and just take away that word and that word will have no effect. So God wants to do something in this person's life. He's trying to uh, see change and work and have a breakthrough. But because that seed lands on such a difficult heart, Satan just comes in and does what he wants to do. He doesn't want the word to have any effect on somebody, so he takes it away. And he says there are people like that who are following, that, that, that they come, but they're completely indifferent. Uh, it, it, to them, that. Uh, God is at, at, at best a fairy tale or what he is saying just does not mean anything to them. And, and, and we probably all know some people like this where, where no matter what they're dealing with, if you get an open door and you start sharing the good news of the gospel and how it applies to their situation and you're trying to bring hope into their circumstance and you're trying to tell them what Christ has accomplished and, and, and it means nothing to them. Listening to you share that was dreadful to them. They were just waiting for it to end like, like a root canal. Like a root canal when you're watching Glee. Like if, <laughs> if there can be anything worse than that. That's how they feel. They just, it's horrible. Uh, and, and there are people like that where they're just, they have a concrete heart and they're just absolutely indifferent or at worst antagonistic to the gospel message. And we know people like that, but we also have to be careful because all of us have corners of our heart that are like that sometimes too. Where, I, I, yes, I believe the gospel, but this area of my life, what I'm going to look at on the internet, that the word is going to have no effect on that. And, and we're hard to that. And when the word comes to that and, we, uh, and the gospel is ministered to that, we want no part of it. So we have to be careful, even as ourselves, not to simply relegate that truth that the word can fall on concrete and think, oh, that's, that's that person and not me. We all are prone to have corners of our heart. So why at Grace Road are we always saying, listen, you have to believe the gospel. The gospel has to go deep into your heart. You have to push it to every corner of your heart. Why are we all about the cross and what was accomplished on the cross? And every message is about a different facet of the gospel as it relates to a particular topic because if the gospel seed does not go deep and it lands on concrete, Satan comes and he steals that word away and it has no effect on you. And we all know that we've heard... sermons or we've, we've read something or God spoke to us in community and, and, and we knew, yes, this is something God wants to do in my life. And we said, but, but it's not going to happen. And we didn't allow the word to have that effect. So the first thing he talks about is when the gospel doesn't go deep uh, and it just stays on the surface, we have this indifferent heart and God doesn't, uh, isn't allowed to minister in that set of circumstances. But he also goes on in verse number 16 and shows another reason why the gospel has to go deep. It has to penetrate deep into the soil. Verse number 16, he says, "...and these are the ones sown on rocky soil, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while." Then when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So th- he says this person, where th- just like a seed sometimes will hit enough dirt to be able to, to go beneath the dirt and germinate a little bit, uh, but th- it's surrounded by rocks, so it really can't take any root. So it just it has nowhere to go but shoot up. And he says, just like that, there are people like that that are following that, uh, they, they, they hear the gospel maybe at, uh, on a missions trip, maybe at summer camp, uh, maybe the, the church helps them in their marriage or with an addiction and, and they preach the gospel and these people say, yes, I'm on board and they shoot up and they start growing really, really fast and, uh, everybody's looking on going, man, look at what God's doing in their life. This is tremendous. And then, Tribulation or persecution comes in this person's life and they, they stop coming around and, and God doesn't seem to be their joy and their treasure anymore. And maybe you know people like this where you've seen somebody seem to get it and they start to grow really fast and then now today if you were to talk to them, they're not following and this passage says the reason that happens is, again, it's a gospel problem, that that seed did not go deep enough into their heart. The, 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 the problem, again, wasn't the sower and the problem wasn't the seed. The problem was that the seed only went so far down and then it landed on rocky uh, soil. And as a result, it shout out, spouted up. But when the sun came, it died because it had no root. And the, 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 the sobering thing in this passage is verse number 17. It says, They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, and then this next word, it doesn't say if tribulation or persecution arises. It says when. And some people, they, they, they follow Christ for the miracles. They follow him because they think, yeah, if I, if I live my life for God and I do all the right things, then God will in some way be indebted to me and bless me and give me a good life because I'm living for him, so he's going to bless me. And, and those people, when they find out that Christianity and following Jesus isn't just one big giant cupcake and cotton, cotton candy carnival type life, that there are tribulations and there are uh, persecutions. Those people, when they say, wait a second, I'm living for God and this is going to happen to me and, and I have to suffer and I have to go through this trial, that th- that this isn't what I signed up for. And those people walk away because they came to Christ for the miracle, the fun, the joy, and thought that that was going to be the whole life. And this passage says, the fun will stop. There will be persecution. There will be trials. This weekend, uh, my, lady, or my wife went on the ladies' retreat, and I had my three girls... And I always try to make sure that, like, when, when I have them, that it, it's as fun as possible. Like, I don't want my wife to come home and their hair be nappy and they don't match and the house is a wreck. And I'm like, oh, here, take it. Like, I want my wife to be able to go and enjoy herself and come home and the kids be taken care of. And I want to have fun with the girls. So I, I planned out, like, we were going to do all these things. We were going to go to a fancy restaurant and Daddy was going to take them to, uh, Rochester has a free toy museum. Uh, it's called Target. And um, <laughs> So we took them to the free toy museum. It's just one of the countless blessings of living in Rochester. And um, <clears throat> took him to some other places, took them out to eat a bunch of times because don't cook. Uh, so, in fact, Tali at one point said, uh, why are we going to all these places? Is it, is it because you can't cook? <laughs> um, But, so I was taking them to these different places, and at one point, uh, there was a gap of time, and one of my daughters said, okay, Daddy, what are we going to do next? And I was like, um, I think we're just going to go home. And they were like, ah. I said, well, no, like, we can go home, and you can play with your overpriced toys, and it's going to be cool. And then, and then tonight, you know, that we're going to be doing this, and they were not feeling it. Suddenly, it was like, Dad, this is miserable this is what hanging out with you is like. We only get to do like six awesome things. And, uh, and sometimes we look at the Father in the same way where it's like, hey, as long as everything is awesome and everything is going well and, and everything is just one carnival after another, then I'm on board. But God, if tribulation is going to come, if, if there's going to be some downtime, if I'm going to have to suffer, if I'm going to have to be persecuted, that's not what I signed up for um, and sometimes that comes, that persecution comes with in the form of a family member who doesn't like your, your faith in Christ and in the gospel. Maybe it's a coworker. Uh, maybe it's the church where you come to church and you think, yeah, this church is going to do it for me. I finally found perfect church. And you're you know looking at the church and you say, yeah, this is the one. And you sign up for membership class and you join the church and you think this is terrific. Finally got the perfect church. And then somebody wrongs you in the church or you wanted the church to handle a situation one way and they didn't, and that's enough. It's, no, you guys, I got to know you guys a little bit and found out you guys don't have it all together. Uh, And that was a newsflash to me. I didn't realize you guys had problems, so I'm gonna find a new place. That happens all the time. They, They follow him for the miracle. They follow him for the good stuff. But when persecution and tribulation comes, they bounce, they take off. And Jesus says there are people like that. And what was the problem? Again, was it the sower? Can we blame the sower for that problem? No. Did he just not do a good enough job? Was it a seed problem? Did, was it that the, it was just a bad seed? No, the problem was that that seed was not allowed to go deep enough into the soil. And if we don't become gospel-centered, if the gospel, the, the cross, and what Christ has done for us doesn't become our thing, and we don't allow that to penetrate deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts, then when the sun comes, we're scorched and we fall away. He goes on again with a third type of heart. And this one is just the preoccupied one. Verse number 18, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This, in a lot of ways, is just like the other example. The seed goes in, there's enough dirt and soil for it to to germinate and begin growing. But because it is on bad soil, because it doesn't go deep, and because it's surrounded by thorns, the, the thorns just choke it out and it does not live and grow and have health. And in the same way, if... Uh, somebody likes the gospel, believes the gospel, and says, yeah, I'm going to be about Jesus as one of my things. Jesus, and it's going to be Jesus and career and money and this and these other things. And and, and that's what I'm going to be about. If it becomes Jesus and anything else, the deceitfulness of riches or the cares of this world, if, if Christ isn't supreme over those things, then this passage teaches us that whatever that thing is, that extra thing or things, that they're going to eventually choke out our desire and our love for Christ. And Christ ceases to be the treasure because this becomes the treasure. And I know we dealt with that last week by making good things, God things, and they become idols and Anytime that happens, our desire for Christ and the gospel and the good news gets choked out by whatever we try to make the God thing in our lives. And again, what is the problem? What is the problem? It's that the sea didn't go deep enough. So week after week, and sometimes you probably just think, do these guys need more content? Don't they read enough books? Like, there's other things to talk about other than the gospel. And if I hear one more time, push the gospel deep into this corner of my heart and believe the gospel more, I think I'm going to scream. The reason for that is absolutely intentional. Because if that seed just hits concrete, if that seed just hits a little bit of dirt and, and all rock or if that seed gets choked out by thorns, then we don't grow and bear fruit as a Christian. We don't believe the gospel deeper and the gospel doesn't affect the different circumstances of our lives. But if that gospel can go deep, verse number 20 we see what happens. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So there are uh, seed that, that, that falls, and it falls into good soil, and it goes deeper and deeper, and as a result, it bears fruit. And he says, and, and, and some were 30-fold, 60-fold, then 100-fold. That is just to say they didn't all grow the same or at the same pace. Some bore more fruit than others in the same way as Christians. When we let the gospel affect us, whatever we're dealing with, whatever our struggle is, if I'm coveting... Uh, everything and I want more and more stuff because I want to impress people and I want that to validate who I am. When we look to the gospel and realize that I'm already accepted, I don't need to earn your acceptance by acquiring stuff so that you think I'm awesome. I'm already accepted and, the, and, and I don't need the stuff because he's already in the gospel at the cross that says that he blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So I don't need to strive for something that I don't have because I have everything that I need in Christ. When whatever our circumstances are, we allow the gospel to affect that and change us, we bear fruit. When we allow the gospel to go deeper and deeper into our hearts. And we're all going to have seasons where our spiritual life may feel dry uh, and it's not what it should be. But when the gospel is deep into our hearts, there's enough rootedness to know that when the storms come, the trials come, etc., that we're not going to wither away because we've been rooted in the gospel. In every single circumstance where the seed fails, never once is it the seed's fault. It's always because the seed did not go deep enough. And so what we learn from that is there is no problem with the gospel. The gospel is powerful. It is a powerful, powerful seed. And one of these seeds is, is, seems so insignificant and so incapable of making a change. But the scriptures teach us that that gospel seed is powerful and miraculous and able to change Why? Because Jesus Christ is that seed. We know of a seed, that if a seed just lays on wood, nothing's going to happen. But if it's allowed to die and go into the ground, that it'll bear fruit, that it'll grow. And Christ was that seed that died and went into the ground. And as a result, that is the miracle that... Allows the gospel to bear fruit. John chapter 12, verse number 24. Jesus himself said, and he was completely in the context, speaking of himself, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus bears much fruit. The gospel, the good news of what Christ accomplished on the cross is life changing. And it can change uh, our lives for salvation, and it can change our lives in every circumstance that we're dealing with. There's a story of a man who, uh, there's a tourist attraction in Italy. It's a big graveyard, and people go uh, to the graveyard as a tourist attraction because there's this enormous tombstone in there. And you have this enormous tombstone, and then this huge, thick, uh, impenetrable marble slab. That lays. And as you look at this tomb, you know this person is either a king or, at minimum, he was a very, very wealthy man to have this enormous uh, tomb. And the reason it's a tourist attraction is that hundreds of years ago, uh, after this thing was all settled, somehow an acorn seed got into the ground underneath it. And over the years, it grew and it grew and it shout out and it began to grow and grow. And hundreds of years, later, it split the marble slab into two pieces, and you have this enormous tree that sticks up in between the marble slab. And if you look at how thick the the marble was, it it baffles you that it could ever have been split in two. And if hundreds of years ago, we would have stood there and said, you know what's going to split this thing in two? This acorn here. We're going to attack this marble slab with this acorn. Nobody would believe that that was going to have any effect. If I took the acorn and I slammed it on the marble slab, the thing would just bounce off. It would do nothing. But because that acorn seed was able to get into the ground deep and grow, it had an enormous impact and shattered that marble slab. And this morning every single one of us have a marble slab over us that we're dealing with whether it's our financial situation or a struggling marriage or a sin struggle, an addiction, uh, a set of circumstances, a, a disease, whatever it is, there is a marble slab that weighs over us and we feel dead underneath its weight and it looks hopeless. It does not look like a little seed is going to change that set of circumstances for us. But this morning what we learn from the scriptures is that because of the power of the gospel, because Christ has been able to die and get buried, that when we apply the gospel and that the gospel can go deep and go underneath that marble slab in our heart, that it can shatter the slab away and we can see freedom and we can see victory with regardless of what our set of circumstances are because that's the power of the gospel. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me maybe you're here this morning and as you look at your life up until this point, your heart, your life has been like that first soil where the, the seed falls basically on concrete. You've been indifferent. You have not seen the gospel. You have not seen Christ and his death and his resurrection as a, as a payment for your sin. You have not seen it saving. What I would say this morning is to, to look to the cross and see the, the enormity of, of your sin and my sin. Nothing. no matter how good and how many good deeds we have done, we could never earn our salvation, that God is perfect, that God is holy, and that we would never be able to bridge that gap and meet his standard. But God did not leave us there in that condition, in that hopelessness. But willingly, proactively became a man, a seed, and lived a perfect, sinless life, and then willingly laid down his life on the cross. He endured the punishment that we deserved. He took all of our deeds, all of our bad deeds, every single one of them, past, present, and future, and laid it upon himself and paid for our sin. He took on the wrath of God. He took on the separation. He took on the guilt, the shame that we feel over our sin and he paid for everything. Then he went after he died he went into the grave. He was buried. And three days later life sprung out of that grave. He was gloriously resurrected proving that 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 payment that he made on the cross for you and for me was accepted by God, was validated by God so that you and I can be forgiven. We can have our sins atoned for, that we can be at one with God. And this morning, I pray that 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 truth would penetrate your heart and bring you to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus. That you would lean on him and him alone for his saving work. That you would... Recognize your need for rescue and that He is the Savior, the rescuer, the Redeemer for you. And that you would call out to Him and say, God, I know that I, like everybody else in this room, have made a mess and I have sinned and fallen short of your standard, but I thank you that you gave me the gift of salvation, that you paid the cost for my sins so that I wouldn't have to. And I turn from my sin this morning and lean solely on the finished work of Christ, what you accomplished on my behalf. That is my only hope. And God says that when we do that, when we call out to Jesus like that, that he will in no wise cast anybody out, that he receives all of us that call on to him as sons and daughters, that he adopts us into his family. So I would encourage any of us to do that that haven't before. And I would ask that we look at our hearts this morning and that today would not be a day where we harden our hearts to the good news of the gospel, but as we gather here this morning, that we would celebrate what Christ has done for us, not because we deserved it, not because he owed it to us, not because we were awesome, but because he was awesome. That he lived the life that we should have lived, that he died and paid the cost that we should have paid because of his grace and his mercy, and that we would celebrate that and let that truth so touch our hearts and so affect our hearts that it goes deep and deep and it wipes away the marble slab of our heart as it grows and bears fruit in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning. We thank you for the glorious good news of the cross, that it's finished, that it's been paid for, all of our sin, past, present, and future. And that as a result, we've been set free, that we can walk in newness of life and that it's not about our performance. This morning, we rejoice in your performance. We thank you. We pray that the spirit of God would move and continue to work in our hearts. Help us to bear fruit and be changed by your good news. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.